Welcome, listeners, to Radical Life Support. I'm so glad you're joining me today on the ABCs of the Attributes of God. And I hope that your confidence and trust in God is increasing as you're learning about his attributes. Now, let's begin with our quote from A.W. Tozier that says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This week, we're going to talk about God is our defender. And as I mentioned before, all of the attributes are interconnected and they're building blocks there. We're trying to just build on top of each other. So for example, God is creator. He knows how everything works. Who's a better defender than someone who knows the system? He knows everything. And God is almighty. When he gets ready to defend, he has all the power he needs to defend it. Now, I think it's very important to know the entire word of God. If you've never read through the Old Testament or if it's been a long time, I recommend that you do that. It's good to have everything in the Old Testament be refreshed in your mind. One of the reasons why in this particular case, so when I think of God as defender, my first thoughts go to the battlefield. And there are so many examples in the Old Testament. You can really get to know who God is by learning about how God helps his people in battle. And what works in battle? Let's take David as an example and Goliath. David seemed to be the only person in the entire Israeli army who knew his God. Everyone else was not trusting in God. God had been there with David as he was a shepherd, and he just knew that even with God being there as a shepherd, he'd be with him now. God was strong in the small areas, and he was against giant enemies, too. And he stood up to Goliath, this huge guy who was tormenting everyone, and they were so fearful of him. He says, I, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. There it is, all-powerful. So he believed in this mighty God. And he said, the battle's the Lord's. Now that means he didn't have, he just stood there and didn't do anything. He definitely used the skills that God gave him and he put his trust in God and he had victory in the battle because he knew his God so well and he knew his God was with him. That's why I'm saying it's so important that you know who this God is when he comes to your defense. You can't trust human devices for your personal or even for our national security. You must put your trust in God for your security. So many times, too, when the Israelites were getting ready for battle or someone was coming to them and challenging them in battle, what was really important to God was that the Israelites consulted him before they went into battle. If they didn't consult him, they lost battles. One time when they didn't do it right is the battle was, uh, they were losing the battle, so they brought the Ark of the Covenant out. They didn't consult God about it. They just brought it out there, and then the battle went even worse for them. One king had a letter from the enemy saying all these bad things he was going to do to them. And he took the letter, and he laid it out in the temple, and he presented his request to God. And these were things that pleased God when you're facing a battle. I also like how God prepared people for battle. And Gideon's my favorite example. When he was getting ready to battle, he, he went to God and he put out a fleece. You know, if, if you really want me to do this, then I make the grass wet, but the fleece dry. And then he did it again, make the fleece wet and the grass dry. And so then Gideon felt like, okay, I can go into battle. But God 
told Gideon, and he's listening to God all through the battle, he ended up dwindling down Gideon's army to about 300 people. And it said that the enemy's army had so many, they were like grains of sand. They couldn't count them all. But why would God ask Gideon to have his army go down to just 300 people? God said, in order that Israel may not boast against me that they won the battle in their own strength and they saved themselves. So many times God placed Israel in a position where they seemed like they were weak and there was no way they were going to win. But God was able to then show himself that he will give them the victory. God does not want us to feel like we are doing it ourselves. And many times God gave specific instructions on how to defeat the enemy. Like one time he says, you know, get into position and wait for the trees to rustle, then move in. I mean, that's very specific. Also, I find in these battles, he doesn't do it the same way each time. Each battle that they face is different and different ways to defeat the enemy. One example is when Joshua and the Israelites are going to the land of Canaan. The first battle they go to is at the city of Jericho. And he tells the people to circle the city seven times. And on the seventh time, shout. And then the walls came tumbling down. You would have thought maybe that that was then going to be the formula or the method on how they were going to defeat all the other cities, and it wasn't. As far as I know, that's the only time God asked him to do it that way. So he doesn't give a formula for it, and I think, again, it's intentional because he wants us to go to him and trust in him, and he will tell you what to do. He told Joshua to be strong and to be very courageous. He says, don't fear, don't be, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go have that confidence that God is with you. Don't be afraid. God is on your side. Another reason why you want to read the Old Testament, you can see leaders who did things right and didn't do things right. One of the things that good leaders had is they surrounded themselves with good counselors. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, when his father died and he became king, he consulted his father's advisors for whether to go to battle or how to handle handle a situation. And then he consulted his good buddies who were his age. And it turned out that he listened to his buddies instead of his father's counselors. And it definitely went the wrong way. Saul, who was king before David, he decided to consult a medium. Definitely not the wise choice. And shortly thereafter, he and his sons all died in battle. In Second Chronicles, a leader, Jehoshaphat, he gathered everyone together and they prayed. Good thing to do as a leader. And he told God, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Uh, don't be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours, God said. You do not have to fight. Take your positions and stand firm and watch me work. He loves for us to watch him give the victory. And Jehoshaphat said to all the people, Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld, and you will be successful. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing, too, and to praise God for his splendor in advance. It said to praise God for the splendor or beauty of his holiness. So how about that? Putting God as beautiful and almighty together, they praised him for his attributes, for who he was, and they prayed in advance, believing that the victory was theirs. 
what I would call these Old Testament battles in my mind as I face my day, it strengthens my resolve. If God was there for the Israelites, he's going to be there for me. There's great value in knowing the God of the Old Testament. If the last time you read these stories, you read them as a kid, read them now as an adult. Or read them now as a mature believer. There's a lie that I think you know everything there is to know about a certain passage because you read it before. Read the Old Testament again. God's word is so simple, yet it's so in-depth, but you'll never stop learning for it. Well, now that I said all of that about God is defender on the battlefield, when I went into the word now, how he reveals himself as defender, it was more about defending us in a legal sense. Like, you know, you have a defender, an attorney who's your defender in a courtroom. It says in Deuteronomy, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Jeremiah, yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will defend their causes that he may bring rest to their land. And Psalms, don't move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless because their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. The Lord says in Isaiah that he's the sovereign Lord, the God who defends his people. And he says, I will contend with those who contend with you. God was putting together the old covenant with the Israelites. And he was telling them all the things they needed to do as they were governing. He was very concerned that people were not exploited, especially the poor and the weak who had no one to come to their defense. And God is a defender to the powerless. This should bring you great comfort. God says, I hear their cries. No one, if you are disabled, impoverished, or powerless, is to be exploited. Don't deprive them of justice. He even said, like if you had a field, don't pick up all the extra food in the field. Leave it for those who can't work for themselves. And then he said that when you did this, when you treated them properly, he said that the Lord will bless you in all the work of your hands. So if you are feeling impoverished, God will take care of you. He promises to do that. Now, the best example I could think of for how God reveals himself in creation as a defender is he uses his creation to defend and protect his people. And I thought of the most elaborate one is when he brought his people out of Egypt. He said to Moses, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them. Here he comes. He's going to take care of his people who are enslaved. Now, why wouldn't he just find some quicker, simpler way to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But he didn't. He decided to use his creation. And in a very big way, he used not one, but many plagues to get Pharaoh to release people. He had the river blood. He had frogs, gnats, flies, livestock died, boils, hail, locusts. It, w it became completely dark. Each time, he showed Pharaoh that he was in command as creator of the world. And he had the power to do whatever he wanted. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and he wouldn't let people go free. But he does finally, 
after the final plague and the final plague was death of all the firstborn. They see God take his people out and he divides the river and the people go through the river and he even defeats the enemy with that huge river as it comes caving in. So he uses his creation in such an elaborate way to rescue the oppressed, to be their defender. The ways that God handles things are for our good and his glory, and he knows what he's doing. God knows we're very visual. We're very experiential. So when we see that, when we see a tangible way that God displays himself, displays his power, displays displays how he's the defender, it, it sticks more than just hearing words. He had them remember this every year, and it was called the Passover, because anyone who used the lamb's blood on the doorframe would be saved from death in their homes. Their firstborn wouldn't die. And this was a foreshadowing of the blood sacrifice that Jesus had. He was the final lamb, the final sacrifice that would save the whole world. Now, how does God reveal that he's defender through Jesus? In 1 John 2, it says, If anyone sins, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus is also our defender. My Bible study notes say that when Jesus is our defense, it refers to someone who speaks in a courtroom on behalf of a defendant. And in God's court, the defender must be and is sinless. And Jesus is the only one who can be our defense when we stand before God. I love the imagery I received when I was younger of myself standing before the throne of God and then being asked, why should I be allowed in heaven? And I'm standing there with all my unholiness and my sin set against me. And then Jesus steps in as my defender and he stands in between God and me. And instead of God seeing my unworthiness, he sees his son standing on my behalf. Jesus is the only sinless person who can stand on your behalf. The only way to stand in a holy God in his holy court is with holy Jesus being your defense. Only through him can you escape from the deserved judgment of your sins. If Jesus isn't there when you stand accused and condemned, there is no other way for a man or a woman to be saved. Not by any works that you've done. All your works are worthless but only by believing and putting your trust in the Son of God who loves you and gave his life for you. But not just for you. The Bible says he is a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. This is how God our Creator set it up for us to be saved. His ways are the only right and true ways, and it's all explained clearly in the Word of God. So in the New Testament, Jesus ushered in a new covenant. It's no longer an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But he brought in new weapons against the enemy. And his ways to defeat the enemy were to love your enemy, overcome evil with good, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek, give them more than they ask or demand, go the extra mile, show mercy and forgive. No more is there revenge. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. When Jesus ushered in this new covenant of loving your enemies. Oh, that was not an easy one because we don't always want to, to do it Jesus' way. In First Peter 2, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
and when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges just. So Jesus leaves us an example of how we are to treat our enemies, people who are against us. And Paul tells us that the battle really isn't physical anymore, but it is a spiritual battle. And in Ephesians, it tells us to put on our armor. But this isn't physical armor. It is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace and the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now, I had a realization of this armor when I was going through a difficult time in my life. I felt that the enemy was really trying to oppress me. Whenever I had heard of putting on the armor of God, you need to put on the breastplate, the belt, I don't know, for me in that time in my life when I felt very weak and vulnerable, that, oh, I just don't have the energy to put on this heavy armor. That's how I, I pictured it physically. I can't. I can't do it. But I was going to counseling, had a wonderful Christian counselor. And as we were discussing all this, I just got this vision of Jesus again as my defender standing in between me and the enemy who wanted to take me down. And so Jesus, I realized, was the full armor because Jesus is truth. He's righteousness. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the author of my face. He is our Savior and the sword of the spirit is the word of God and he's the word. So everything in that armor is Jesus. And as he's standing between me and the enemy, the enemy is throwing flaming arrows at me. But when they hit Jesus, because I'm cowering behind Jesus, it just dissolves in Jesus. There's nothing that the enemy can throw at Jesus that would penetrate him, hurt him, and definitely not get through to me. And so when you're in trouble, all you have to do is call out to Jesus. He's your defense. You need to keep him close. He's all you need. He's that full armor of God for you. He's your defender. So how does God reveal himself as defender in our hearts? Some people are afraid of the enemy. When they think about him, they believe he's strong and they're afraid of him. And he is evil and he is someone to reckon with. But if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, greater is God your defender in you than he who is in the world. Even if you are weak and vulnerable like I was in my story, you can still stand firm against the enemy. And the Bible tells you to do so. Stand firm against him and he'll leave you. You have that authority inside of you to say, my God is my defender and I can stand against you. You have no place here. You must leave. And he must and he will. It brings me great peace and rest when I know I have this big defender on my side. I feel safe. I feel protected. And having peace in your heart is, that's all I want to live for personally. I just want to be in this place of peace. And knowing God is my defense in any type of situation gives me that peace. You don't have to try to make anything happen. He will take care of it for you. You have to be like David and put your faith in God, your defender, and believe that he is who he says he is. Why is it so important to believe God is your defender? Every battle that you ever face, every temptation, every obstacle, he will fight for you. For some of you, you are fighting against bad habits. You are fighting against addictions, and it seems overwhelming. Believe in him, trust in him. 
Do all the things he tells you to do to fight that battle and to face the enemy. You will come out victorious. When God is on your side in the battlefield or in the courtroom, you're perfectly defended and safe. Living a radical life for Jesus means believing that God is your defender. Hey, thank you for listening today. I would love to hear from you. Could you send me an email at rickandrobinmo at gmail.com and let me know what you're learning about God and how he is moving in your life. I would love to be encouraged by that. Have a wonderful day and join me next Friday as we talk about God is our everlasting, eternal God. Talk to you then.